Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, absolutely thrilled to be sitting down with the man who covers the Philadelphia Flyers and with the playoffs playing coming very, very soon and the Flyers looking for their seating rights, we get to sit down with Anthony Mingione. I think I just butchered it again. My apologies, my friend. No, you got it correct. You're good. <laughs> How's everything shaking out you for you today? Oh, it's okay. It's a pretty hot one here in Philadelphia. It's been, we're in a little bit of a heat advisory right now, so um, better to be sort of better to be uh, indoors at the moment before everybody's sort of melting outside. <laughs> what a, what a time to be talking hockey, eh? <laughs> It's a, it is a strange feeling. Normally, this time of year, we're wrapping up on developmental camps and kind of preparing our, you know, preparing for to, to, for practice. And you're going to be in the what would be the normal dead the sort the normal dead zone time right now as we get into late July and start prepping some of the prospect interviews that you may have, you know if you haven't done already from the actual developmental camps, then you begin sort of planning out what you're going to be doing for the whole summer with regards to remaining pieces to sort of keep, you know, obviously interest for the hot Rocky fans who are becoming, you just become star for content. And now, welcome to 2020, we are literally, you know, the, the, the hose is about to turn on at full pressure and everybody's getting ready for, for playoff hockey, which again, it is, it is a very strange feeling. There's little question that um, that we're about to heat this thing back up, and the off season was just earlier, than, <laughs> way earlier than expected. Uh, obviously, in this circumstance, and now we're in this strange new world of you know of, uh, of, of the Stanley Cup qualifiers and just being in two bubble cities, and it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out as we go from virtually no hockey to literally what, what will feel like wall-to-wall hockey very soon. Yeah, nine, what is it, nine days, there's 52 games, there's a little bit something for everybody, obviously the seven teams that aren't in it, you got to pick a favorite after that, but 52 games over nine days, that is absolutely insane on the brain and the eyeballs. It is, it's just the amount, I mean, there is, if you want, if you've been, you know, wanting or starving for hockey... Um, you're going to be getting it in, in, in spades. And, again, we've been with other sports. I mean, last night in Philadelphia, we finally had a, a, Phillies, a Phillies broadcast that was as strange as it was to see no fans in the stands and some piped-in and some piped in noise. It was still – this is the year where you kind of take what you get. And as strange as it may feel, and I'm sure people are, you know, grumbling about, ah, you know, nobody in the stands – Getting anything at this point is, you know, kind of, it, 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 as far as I'm concerned, any competitive hockey at this point is kind of a blessing. I mean, yesterday morning, my son and I were um, watching uh, the Formula One race in Hungary, and he, he, we, we were into it because it was just watching some sort of live competition where you don't know what the end result is going to be was a wonder. It was really kind of a, a good feeling. And once hockey gets started, I mean, if there's any sport that really sort of feeds off the noise, and it really is going to have to adapt. Uh, it's going to be hockey it, it, because, again, it's just even you know the way the sport, the way the crowd sort of informs, it ebbs and flows, and and, and and the players sort of generate emotion off of that. And then they're going to be looking into the crowd. And again, we've already seen some of the pictures coming from Edmonton of you know some of the where they're putting screens up in different spots where they didn't have it before it's going to be really interesting to see what they do it's not going to be the same but the thing is again once i I think the live audience once they're watching it with you know once they sort of get themselves used to this um and i think you know your eventually your ears adapt your mind adapts and then you just focus in on the game, the game in front of you as a fan. For the players, it's also going to be really interesting. But again, same thing. Once it's once the competition, you know, juices get flowing, um, we know what's going to happen uh, in terms of you know it, the first hit, and then all of a sudden you just kind of feel, you know, the, that the old energy kind of coming back to you uh, again. And it's going to be again, it's going to be fascinating to watch those first few games. Uh, whether it's the round robin, 
or, or any of the play, or, or obviously the uh, the playing uh, series. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's definitely going to be fascinating to watch, and a lot of things coming out. I guess today, John Shannon reporting the NHL is going to do a five-second delay on the world feeds, so that way, if players do end up swearing on the ice or anything's picked up, it can be kind of vetted out before it gets out to the national audience. Um, I was kind of looking forward to hearing that stuff. I don't know. You can always put up an advisory, or you know, this content may contain language that's not recommended for. But I mean, I guess they want the younger viewers, they want the young eyeballs too to watch the game. So that kind of weeds that out but I was excited for that but the other thing that teams are doing and I don't know if you've seen a lot of this but I've heard from certain organizations that they're actually asking fans to record different chants like you know go Leafs go or get excited for a hit or a power play or whatever or goal um, and might be able to pump that in I'm just wondering how much a team that is the home team on the ice during the hub playoffs gets to use those things throughout the game. Obviously, you just talked about the normal ebbs and flows, but how does a team get to use those all the time or whatever to get their team pumped back up? And will it have any effect, like you said, if you're looking in the stands and you're not seeing people just going absolutely bonkers over what's happening? I mean, that's that's the thing. You you can pump in the audio um, as much as you can, but there is a certain, as we all know, there's just there's something organic about a live crowd and their reactions that you know you can simulate only up to you can simulate certain things only up to the point. Your eyes don't lie. If you're in the in, and and it's going to be really interesting in that respect how the players are going to sort of feed and react to it uh, when this occurs, when they actually have these games. I mean, they may. You know, if, if you're pumping the, the the noise up to 11 and simulating it, the eyes again don't lie. You know that it, you know at the same time it, it, you're going to have to sort of generate the game itself, the competition itself. I think for players beyond the chance, they're going to have to just kind of generate this motivation for themselves, knowing that you know this you know at the end of this thing there is going to be a yeah, a Stanley Cup awarded, and you know, as strange as that's going to be, if when and you know when and if that is, you know, when when that, and, I, and we have to say if because again, yep. there is there are no guarantees that this is all going to pull off successfully. Um, if they get to that end point, you know, the reaction they're going to celebrate. Obviously, they will they will celebrate on the edge, but again, you got to deal with. You know, what am I allowed to do? Hugging, that kind of thing. You know, when we do, we've seen it with baseball players doing celebrations where they sort of simulate high fives. You can't, hockey hugs are going to be, unless you're wearing like full, uh, crazy full on, you know, breathing apparatus. <laughs> I don't even see how you're going to be able to pull that off. So there's just a whole lot of adapting that, you know, that the, the players are going to have to, that players and, co- and coaches too are going to have to do in order to pull, in order to pull this thing off. It, 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 it's it, it's a fascinating little it's certainly a fascinating experiment well it definitely is a fascinating experiment there's a couple things I want to ask you about um, I heard that there's about nine players now that are on the Boston Bruins that are unfit to play obviously other teams have numbers as well coming out here and there um, when it gets down to the brass tacks if it we're talking about this thing having to be basically perfectly airtight for it to go off without a hitch I'm wondering you know what happens when we get into this bubble and a team has what the Boston Bruins has per se now, nine players that can't play, what then deems a team you know, basically unable to play and basically unable to have a fair advantage in this tournament if that does happen and do they pause that game and play it later? What happens there? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's probably the most likely scenario is that you, you kind of... It, Again, if you have a large number, if you can sort of delay it and have a little bit of play, um, but that's the thing. Everything seems to be on. They're trying to get this thing done on a fairly tight schedule, um, and you have to see, of course, uh, because obviously rosters are expanded. You have to deploy a certain number of players. Are you in, in terms of getting players into the bubble if they're not in it at, at the very beginning? Again, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how, in fact, what the protocols are going to be in terms of trying to pull that off. If you've got a large number of players uh, that are, you know, that do test positive while they're in the while they're in the midst of this, um, it's the risk again that's involved with trying to do this versus just, you know, waiting until waiting until you know December or January in this case to start up a brand new season and not awarding it. Again, 
all this is sort of a, a very much a rolling with the punches situation, yep. and um, it's going to be re- again. It'll be fascinating to see if, if and when these things occur again. Once they get them inside the bubble, how airtight that's going to be. I mean, the other day we had in Philadelphia, Jake Warcheck was held off the ice because he had a, an inconclusive um, test, and then the second test came back and he was and he was he was negative and he got back out on the ice. So what happens if you get that player who's doing testing and getting and, and they're inconclusive and that's the day of the game? And then you have to slide obviously another player in his spot. There is a certain if you got if you're trying if you're a coach, you know, and you're trying to develop a kind of rhythm amongst your players in such a short window, it's gonna be the ultimate juggling act, I think, for Elaine Vigneault, for Bruce Cassidy, John Cooper, you know, Dan Quinn, whoever, yep. uh, you know, Sheldon Keith, if those things happen. So I look at it like this. We're just talking about the airtight bubble, and hopefully it does remain airtight. And once they get in there, which is what everybody's hoping, you don't have any positive tests. I think they're going to be tested every single day or four times a day or something to that effect. You know, if that does happen, I mean, I look at the UFC, and, you know, that's a close combat sport. Those guys are coming together to the fight. I'm wondering, for players and everybody in the bubble, if everybody's testing negative and everybody is negative, and there's no, um, you know, signs of COVID-19. Why wouldn't you be able to do your normal celebration with your teammates and things like that? I mean, obviously you want to have as much social distancing as you can, but if everybody in that bubble and if it's airtight and it's testing negative every single day, you know, then there's no COVID there. So, I mean, can it be business as usual or do you think they're going to err on the side of caution? Uh, It's a good question. Um, I I think they will probably roll the punch they'll probably allow them to sort of do they'll, they'll, my, my feeling is they'll set some level of protocol they'll know there'll be certain areas of hockey uh, maybe what they'll tell them is guys let's limit the you know if we do if we do a goal let's maybe the, maybe the protocol is you know you know whoever was sort of who knows was directly involved with the play maybe you do that and just have like a few guys a couple players don't make it like a dog pile type of situation but again what happens if it's like an overtime goal that sends the team to the next round uh, players emotions are going to be what they're going to be um, they're going to want but, but again many of them are going to be not tight on the bench like they have been in the past how they're going to handle line shifts and things of that so it's going to be really really interesting um, it's tough again until we actually see how they're going to do this um, again, we're, you're operating on a hypothetical that everybody's at, that everybody's going to be at zero percent for an entire yeah. league. It's tough for me to wrap my brain around the fact that at all times you're going to be able to guarantee a, a, an absolute zero percent. It'd be nice, uh, maybe that again, in that day it happens. But then what happens if one or two? One, two all he needs is one or two players in a bubble, and they happen to be in the same hotel. How how are they handling that? Yeah. Just, it's tough to really get a read on that. I'm not. It, it just is. What is your overall thought? I mean, we have the hub cities now. Obviously, Toronto and Edmonton, everything's set up. Teams will be going there in about a week's time. Um, you know, Edmonton obviously had the storm, a little bit of the flood. We all seen the arena pictures. Obviously, that'll be all cleaned up and ready to go. But how tight do you think these things are going to be? And how do you think the players are going to cope? Obviously, this is something new for everyone. Um, you know, players are being asked on the daily, what are you bringing with you? What are you going to do? And the NHL and NBA, they're all trying to set up different things and make it like a campus almost where you can go and eat, get a haircut, do your normal stuff. You just can't leave. It's the best jail in the world. But I'm wondering for you, what's the read that you're getting from the Philly players? You know, how are they vibing off this and how, is the, how are they handling it? They, most of the, again, of the fire players, and again, I will be full disclosure. I am not down at Voorhees, uh, the practice facility. They kind of kept it to a very limited uh, number of people that are there. But I am tracking everything that's going on each day, and I'm in and I am in communication with reporters uh, who are down there uh, because they really the the the, the, the fire the fire. Um, PR department really want to kind of keep things, you know, tight for those who are there on a daily, daily basis. I, I write for a hockey magazine. I cover them daily from a from a podcasting broadcasting perspective, but they did kind of want to keep things limited. But what I can speak to um, is that most of the interviews in this case, and again, you can take this as being sort of you know public facing and everything else. 
that you know they're motivated to go down, especially I think for the Flyers because when this thing when this thing hit, they were on a really good roll. Um, despite their loss to the Boston Bruins, right before which was their last game before uh, before COVID, before the COVID nineteen uh, quarantines began to hit, Flyers were on a, were on a, on a really really good run. They were close. They were right on the uh, on the Washington Capitals' tail. Um, they actually pretty much this throughout the season they had been really a difficult matchup for the Capitals um, this year, including the game that they won seven to two down in Washington. Um, so they were on a, on a for them it was it had to be really tough for for things to shut down so quick when they were rolling the way they were uh, on you know rolling four full lines playing really finally having a full grasp of the of the system that Elaine Vigneault wants to play, high four check, uh, with, with good defensive responsibilities coming back, butting back on the play. They had, for the first time in a long time, I felt like they had three, they were, they were rolling four pretty well, well-balanced lines and three D pairs that I thought were really ex- a, a balanced in terms of, you know, left D to right D. Uh, and obviously, they were getting great goaltending out of at, 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 at the time out of both Carter Hart and pretty good goaltending out of out of Brian Elliott. So, I think they are based on what I have heard, based on what I have seen in interviews, what I've heard. They are chomp. They they are really chomping at the bit to get to get to um, to get to Toronto and get things going because they they want to kind of get things clicking. They want to you know kind of pick up as quickly as possible where they left off. So I think. As most, I think, a lot of NHL, NHL teams are right now. I think there's a lot of motivation for Philadelphia, especially with the opportunity since they're basically the number four team right now in the round robin. They've got an opportunity to move up the ladder quickly in those three games. Now, they, the flyer, you know, the, the, the general manager as well as the coach all have kind of said, you know, we're looking at seeing what works best in these games before the playoffs because they already know again that they're guaranteed to be in the in, in the main playoff round. So they do want to kind of get things going, but I'd have to also think those other players in the roster would like if they have an opportunity to jump the ladder a little bit and, and, and try to get whatever home ice can be considered in, 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 in a bubble situation uh, where they have their chance and they they get last and they get last line change. Um, that has to be, I think, a motivating factor for them. They know the opportunity. I think that is in front of them. And that ultimately, that's going to be one of the biggest motivating factors. I don't think there's anybody right now on that team that doesn't want to get in there, get to Toronto as soon as they can, and begin uh, and and begin act, active playing. Definitely get in there and get get your feet on the ground and get ready for it. Um, I got to ask, obviously, with teams having the time off and getting prepared for this uh, since March, who do you think on the Flyers? benefited the most from the time off getting healed up and maybe just getting uh, the headspace back to where it needs to be i would say phil myers defensively he had an injury um prior to it so the larger kind of at that time trying to get things back in order myers again for those of you who obviously knew him I, and I, from, certainly from the queue uh was one of the best honestly one of the one of the most cagiest uh acquisitions prior to a draft done by a general manager in a while in terms of, because Myers could have been easily in his draft or could have been a second-round pick, and the Flyers were able to sign him and develop him fairly. And he, he's climbed up the ladder fairly quickly to the point where he's had a very, very good partnership with Travis Sanheim. They have very, they have very they, they have similar physical attributes. Myers is, a, is, a, is bigger than, than Sanheim, but they're both big, rangy defensemen. But Myers, I think, um, benefited to get being able to get him back uh, certainly a full health from his injury. Uh, much of the rest of the lineup, for the most part, is healthy uh, and was healthy going into it. Um, again, you probably allowing a team that plays, and again, I'll say it's probably a heavier style like Philadelphia does um, with bigger players. Certainly, they, I think, you know, in terms of the, the physical matchups and things of that sort, having, you know, Sean Couturier, Kevin Hayes. Hayes obviously has been outstanding here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, certainly he had a bit of disappointing stretch when he was uh, when he was traded to, to, to Winnipeg, but he's fit in exceptionally well, Hayes, um, and really has kind of provided not just you know on ice, really good on ice play, but I think the, the levity sometimes needed that during a long season in the locker room uh, that that's necessary to keep the players loose and ready to go. 
but my, I'm going to say again in this circumstance, Myers, any of the, if there are any of the other veteran players, they're not an except. Again, they're not. They don't have what I would certainly call an old, an older roster. Although they have certainly have acquired some, you know, last offseason acquired some veteran players to augment the younger players. A player I think who also probably really could, I think, and sticking with defense in this case, uh, the top pairing of, of, of Provorov and Niskanen. Um, the two of them together have been an outstanding. I think have been an excellent pairing together. Ivan Provorov has been really since his rookie season has been, you know, sort of looking for that that partner that worked really well with him. And I think Niskanen, who was coming off of an injury, was coming off an injury the prior season, came in really well. The older veteran players get a little bit of, again, a little bit of a breather in this case. Um, but again, a guy like Provorov, who was used to getting a ton of ice time, he, I know for a fact, he, you know, he went, he was with his uh, Billet family in, in, in Wilkes-Barre when he was playing, obviously, for the Youngstown Phantoms before his draft year, before he went uh, to Brandon, and basically was getting as much ice time as possible, and he's he he is like a he is like a machine he's like a hockey machine. He will just continue to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice because that's just how he's wired. So he get not only from the amount of usage he pro- he had during the season, he got a bit of a breather, kept himself going. So I feel like the two def- I think the defense is critical for Philadelphia, but especially I think those having Provorov at full at, at full tilt, ready to roll. And having Myers healthy, that allows the Flyers to roll three to three. I think pretty good defensive pairs in this case. Um, you know, if all things are equal and everybody is healthy. The other player I really want to know about, obviously, is Carter Hart. We all know he's a super uber mm-hmm. talented goaltender. The expectations for young goaltenders going into the playoffs usually is very high on themselves, and the fan base has got to go in too, and the pressure is there. You look at Merzlikens and Corpusalo over in Columbus as well. Um, I'm wondering, though, specifically with Carter Hart, do you think for a young goaltender he's ready for this pressure cooker, obviously being off, then the pandemic, then a quick training camp and right into the thick of it? Um, you know, goalies love mental preparation, and a lot of people say between the years is the most important part for goaltenders, um, and this is just throwing a wrench into everything. Do you think Carter Hart comes out strong, or is there going to be shakiness from goalies around the league, do you think? It's going to be. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of the game. Until you're actually in competition, it's always going to be tough to say how how things are going to play out. This is what I will say about Hart, and this has been known since his since the year that he was drafted. He is very much. He is about as I think for a young a young man, and, I, and this goes to interviews I've had with him. He just comes off as you know. As young as he is, he, he he comes off like a 30, 35 year old in terms of his maturity level. Um, he has got a good, I think, a good mental grasp on who he is and what he is capable of. And we all know, obviously, the reports. Obviously, you know, obviously, he's very open about that. He, he speaks with a sport, a sports psychologist. Has been doing so since he was a young man. Since he was, you know, it's funny saying a young man that he still is in this case, but at least. You know, since he, you know, since, since his early teen years, because he knew what he wanted to be and, 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 and was developing along those lines. And we all saw, obviously, his performances in, in World Juniors. I think in many ways, because he had been in, in many ways, this is where his World Juniors experience, he can draw on that, where he loses, where he, he briefly lost the job and then gets it back and helps Canada win a gold. Um, that's something that I think mentally they can draw on because, again, it is a, to me, the World Junior Championships, if you're getting into the championship round, is as much of a pressure cooker as the Stanley Cup playoffs can be at times. And you're talking about single limit, you're talking about, you know, final elimination, you better come to play or else. Hart said basically in an interview, I've been preparing for this moment my whole life. And he said it with a lot of quiet conviction, like, the moment's here and I, I feel like I, I'm going to be ready for it. And again, it's going to be unique, I think, for young goaltenders like Hart, like Ms. Lurkins, because again, here we go back to our initial conversation of you're playing in the playoffs, but this is, you know, you, you're you're in, in a in a inter, in a completely unique environment. Yep. Um, without the crowd, without the fervor of the normal of the of the energy that you would have from the crowd, 
You also have a vision perspective as well um, in terms of the seats, and I've inserted this in the past where if the puck goes high, if you've got a crowd, you know, a, a goaltender can kind of visualize and see where the puck is. Now, in an empty rink, it can be a little bit more difficult. So, you know, sort of whether or not we're going to see sort of freak moments like that where the goaltender is looped because of this, the, the environment that they're in and they have to adapt to those things. Again, Philadelphia is fortunate in the fact that they are one of the four seeded teams, that one of the four teams in round robin, so they can get used to these at least at least three an exhibition game plus those three games to get themselves acclimated to the Toronto environment. Whereas if you're one of the playing teams, you've got your exhibition game and you're right into you know a five game series. You're right into a, a five game series where if you slip behind so much as a little bit, your performance is down. Your season's going to be over. Yeah. So I think if he adapts to those little things, I don't think mentally it's going to be an issue for him. I think it's just adaptation to the unique environment that they're in that goes beyond what will be a normal playoff. The follow-up to that I'll have is for the entire team. So if someone asks you, the Philadelphia Flyers will advance if this is going, what needs to be clicking for the Philadelphia Flyers? They have to be basically playing the game that they were prior to the Boston. Uh, again, they, they had a tough time with the Bruins. The Bruins were able to match up with them extremely well. Plus, you look at the Flyers, and there's not a bellwether, like, high-level sniper. The, to me, the Ford, again, you have Giroux, who, again, is more of a playmaking winger, but he can score, obviously. Um, you, you're, your goal scoring, you're going to have to kind of rely a bit more on... Travis Konechny, you're going to need a fit. You're going to need some really, I think, um, a strong performance out of Joel Farabee, who's likely going to be playing in the top top six. He Farabee's the one I think he he and um, he and Konechny, if they can get uncorked and scoring early on here, that I think makes things a lot easier for Philadelphia. Overall, though, I think Philadelphia has the advantage of, I think, of, of, of a defense that is got a lot of young horses on it, but I think they're augmented really well by there by having a Matt Niskin in who has been through the playoff wars and is a recent cup, cup winner, leaning on the experience of a Justin Braun on their blue line as well from the third pairing to give them quality minutes. The Flyers basically, in my mind, have to be able to roll for, for, for at least two periods of a game, successfully rolling you know, their four lines, and three defense pairs get and have to get good goaltending out of heart. I think the Flyers overall are set up to win in their first. I think they can win a first round playoff series. When we get into the final, when we get into the the conference semis and the conference finals, it's, it becomes, in my mind, as much about matchups. But again, they haven't played in almost three again four months, and we can lean on the other statistics that we've had before on how they played against certain teams. To me, even more so than in the playoff, than, than in a regular playoff format, those numbers kind of go out the window. This is a very unique circumstance. But for Philadelphia to advance, they have to continue to play the game they're playing. They need a, I think they need a, maybe just a little bit more goal scoring threat. Um, get good goaltending, I think, out of heart. Um, continues obviously the improvements that they have in the penalty killing in the area of penalty killing as well. That was the probably the one of the big there's, the penalty killing in five on five play was probably the biggest reason for their jump this year. But especially penalty killing, which had been a real issue for them in the last several seasons, combined with the coaching that they've gotten this year from Vigneault's staff. Again, having three four having three NHL head coaches on the same staff <laughs> that's I crazy think it, it has been huge for this team. Um, but again. Strong penalty killing, uh, timely goal scoring in this circumstance, um, and again a good again a, a good strong performance out of heart, and again getting some hoping that Konechny continues and other players, and then hoping that as well that you know your other lines can provide a lot of you know can can put pressure uh, on other teams as well, and that's the one thing that Philadelphia was able to do, and, and that's the reason why they were really good getting into the third period of game. They started off better in the first period this year, but they especially were strong in the third period. They were, unlike in past years, they were closers this year. If they had a lead going into the third period, they were pretty good at locking things down. And that's going to be, in, 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 in a close battle, that's going to be extremely important for them, um, especially if any of the home games that they have where they have last change and can get 
the matchup that they need. Well, you know, locking games down in the third period is something the Toronto Maple Leafs need to do as well. But yes, Philly locking that down, that's a huge step in their their uh, progression as a team. The thing that that uh, strikes me for this squad, and you look back last year with Layla Anderson and the St. Louis Blues, the boys had something huge to play for and to drive for and strive for. And I look at the Philadelphia Flyers this season, and you, we all know about the Oscar Limbaugh story, um, you know, with the Ewing sarcoma and then ringing the bell. No better moment this year so far to watch that especially if you're a Flyers fan but I think that's something the Flyers will have you know in their mind as well you're doing it for Oscar you're playing for him and the team rallied around that it was a rallying cry and sometimes you need that it brings everybody together it's it's a common thing I'm wondering are the boys uh pumped up to play for Oscar as well still yeah they are for sure that's many of the comments I mean Kevin Hayes certainly again who's kind of become sort of the, the one of the Again, one of the players. He's certainly always willing to talk, and he is a unique. He is a unique individual. With a running joke, I always ever call him the Duke of Dorchester because you know he's from Dorchester, Massachusetts, and he just kind of has this sort of just this this, this personality that kind of that, that you know permeates that locker room, and I think helps with their confidence. He said himself, he said if he wasn't for Oscar, if it wasn't for the fact that you know he had his shape, that he was so positive, you know, you know, working through this. And I think it's definitely a, it's been an, emo, an emotional rally cry to see, you know, how he's kind of persevered through this, him getting on the ice, you know, in that environment, you know, one, you know, just, just in a light practice environment, but seeing him out there after, you know, everything that occurred after the surgery occurred, obviously we now, everybody knows now, obviously, um, you know, the rib bisection that had to be done as well. And there's, there's really, and there's also, I think they take a lot of hope in the fact that Oscar, in the future, you know, obviously we have to see how things go over time, that there is a chance that he can resume his NHL career. And that was the thing about Oscar was that he was one of the team's leading goal scorers when it happened. I mean, yep. it was devastating. And if you have a healthy Oscar Lindblom coming into his own as, as such a complete forward, because uh, he already has, Already, his defense. He he had such a great partnership. I think playing on a line with Couturier, with Sean Couturier, and Travis Konechny. It was such a tremendously well balanced line because you have two exceptional defensive players, uh, and 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 a player with the you know the score the scoring prowess that I think Konechny possesses. It was a it was a wonderful line to watch, and to think how much more of an of a matchup nightmare Philadelphia could potentially be with a fully healthy Oscar Lindblom. If he had a full season, obviously, to play, he was really just a handful for teams to deal with. And the hope is, again, as he goes forward and everything has to be, obviously, with abundance of caution, he has excelled in every step that he has taken with regards to coming back, in, in, in regards to this. And, again, the hope is, and you cross your fingers, that you know he can come back and, and get some of, if not all of that back. I don't know. Again, it's such, you know, it's such, it, 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 you know, cancer such a, such a, a difficult enemy to deal with, but I do believe that he is definitely a rally, he is definitely a rally point for them um, in terms of the you know if there's a, if they they need to have a moment where they have to persevere. You know that's that's something that can give them an edge uh, in that in, in that circumstance. I, I would say that that's you know that that that's something that you can definitely look at. No, definitely. Like I said, with the Layla Anderson, the St. Louis Blues, it it just echoed that, you know, and just how much passion went into it and the boys being very excited for her. You know, I could see the same thing happening with the Philadelphia Flyers and having a great season that team did. Now it gives you guys the chance to play the the seeding round and obviously you may actually get the chance to play either Columbus or Toronto and I'll play devil's advocate here and say that Toronto takes it. Um, Toronto is a one in four chance of facing the Philadelphia Flyers. If the Leafs were to go up against the Flyers, and I know I'm putting the cart way before the horse here, but if they were to match up together, what do you think the advantages Philly has over Toronto, and how do you see a series like that going? Toronto with the speed, and then obviously Philly with the heavier kind of style game. See, the one thing that I think Toronto will have here is that you'd be going up against an opponent that I think also has a heavy style of play in Columbus. Uh, would behoove, I think, Toronto in terms of if they can get past that first series against Columbus. Because, I mean, I'm, I, I, I've been fairly public on this, is that I, I think Columbus, the, the Jackets are, are a tough matchup for the Leafs. I really do. Yep. And, and their style of play, they're pretty dogged. 
uh, in how they play. They're an exact kind of opponent that can give the Leafs a lot of problems. However, if the Leafs are able to get past them, and let's say devil's advocate, let's that you know we've seen the deployment of the, of, of a new Matthews line with Tavares and Marner. Um, the key thing for Toronto, I think, against Philadelphia is going to be able to again. They have to get their. They have to have their lines all on the same page. They have to kind of have everything kind of rolling. Nylander, I think, in this circumstance, probably becomes your second line center. How is he coming along? The one area that I think the Philadelphia really presents even more of a problem for Toronto again is defensively. The Flyers have options here. All they have all their defense in in, in place. The Flyers will be feel equally comfortable deploying the the Provorov Niskanen pairing or the Sanheim uh, Myers pairing against the Matthews line. Now, again, it's, it's going to be a little bit different in this circumstance if what Keith is doing in practice holds. But Philadelphia loves to turn play around back up ice, and that's the one area that Philadelphia I think has I, overall well, at least have Riley. Um, and they've got substantial firepower up front. I, I just have a lot of concerns about Toronto's defense uh, being laid bare by Philadelphia uh, in that series. If, if you're asking me, I, I, I would probably pick, uh, I would, especially with Philadelphia having, would have home ice uh, in that series, uh, in theory, obviously, quote yeah. unquote, um, with last change. And Vigno has the opportunity to get the matchups that he wants in the critical circumstances. I think Philadelphia will probably win that series. I would say, I would, if I had to do a prediction, I would say Philadelphia wins that series in six. But again, I do need to see how the Leafs are playing against Columbus um, in terms of how well that line is rolling or the other lines are rolling, how their defense is looking. I think goaltending-wise, Anderson has the experience uh, over Hart, but I think in terms of tr- talent level, Hart and, I think Hart and Anderson are at minimum equal. Um, I would say Hart's better, again, in my opinion. Front, front, yeah, I would say so. But, again, I do have to take in the, the, the playoff experience in this circumstance does come into, can come into, come into play. Defensively, I think Philadelphia has the advantage, even with Riley there. Up front, I think Toronto's, pro, in terms of some of the goal scoring that they have up front, certainly they've got superstar-level players up front, whereas I think Philadelphia's players are, you know, Strong and they have some superstar players in this circumstance, but again, that will come down to Konechny, Matt. Let's say Konechny bringing up his play up to a Marner level uh, in that series, and it's po- he can potentially do that. Whether or not Konechny, who says, you know, I have to watch my P's and Q's and my chirps on the ice, does he decide to sort of take on sort of a Brad Marchand style role? Because we know Konechny likes to chirp and yeah. try to get under the skin of some of the least some of the least players uh, in this circumstance, and I. I have no doubt in the circumstance that Konechny would do that uh, in that circumstance. Certainly we know Hayes would have no compunction <laughs> trying to get under people's skin as well. Um, it's just if I'm looking at it from a pure matchup perspective, I just like the way Philadelphia is playing uh, coming you know, overall coming in this, and if they can get things up and off the ground quickly, they can get on track quickly, um, I would say the Flyers, I, I would pick the Flyers in six games over the Leafs. Well, you know, you won't get any complaints out of me. I know Toronto does have trouble with the heavier teams, and I'm hoping the fact that they played Boston for two years in a row maybe it made them a little bit more battle-tested for these kind of matchups. We'll see against Columbus. I really hope they do put it to Columbus, but now it was announced that Josh Anderson has been added to the Columbus roster. Um, that is a big-time problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs if he's healthy and ready to go that's a big brewery forward yeah well I mean the shoulder I mean they they keep working though the shoulder is obviously the the issue for him but I mean if he's getting on that roster he must be close I don't know if he plays and you know with the round robin or whatever you want to call it the play in I don't know if he gets there or the next round but that's just another, you know, even a psychological wrinkle for the Maple Leafs to think about because obviously we know what he brings to the table and you already have a team that does it by committee in the, the Columbus Blue Jackets and will run through a wall for John Tortorella. We've seen that last year. Now this year, without the star power of the Duchesnes and the Panarins and the Bobrovskis, they were still able to drag that team to the playoffs and, you know, make a lot of noise. So I'm nervous as a Leaf fan. I know that we have the weapons, but the only thing is it depends for us our power play is supposed to be our deterrent against physical play. 
if the refs come out and are calling it like they do at the beginning of a season where everything is called and it's hypersensitive, it may benefit teams that rely on the power play. You look at the Boston Bruins mm-hmm. as one. But obviously, if they call it like they do playoff hockey where it's stingy penalties, I don't think you can rely on your power play to get you out of trouble. Yeah, I would agree with that. Again, if it, if, if it is, I think if we're, not to oversimplify this, but I think if it is a, if it is a raceway of a series, um, then I think that it obviously will benefit the Leafs. But if it is the usual playoff run, we saw it last year, Columbus, even though they don't have the star level players that they had before in Panarin, Duchesne, to, to, you know, there's something about Tortorella's mentality in terms of he gets those guys to buy in. He got them to buy in since the beginning of the year in terms of this is where John, I think, is at his at his best in terms of getting players to kind of you know believe that they are greater than the sum of their parts, and that is going to be. And if it is a grinder of the series, if it's close games, um, and it's a physical wear down effect, that's going to work obviously for Columbus's favor. But as you said, if the refs are calling it like the beginning of the season with hype with a lot of power play opportunities for for Toronto. That can, as long as Toronto is clicking in this circumstance, and I do wonder yep. in some ways whether or not that is something that Keith has in mind, which is why he has, uh, why he's put Tavares on the left wing with uh, in practice with uh, Matthews and Marner. Excuse me, with with, with Matthews and Marner is that I want it, there's a chance that if they're going to make these calls, these guys, I, I want my my top guys to be clicking on all cylinders through practice and everything, buzzing that puck around as fast as possible and getting, you know, hoping that the, the jackets are going to be too slow to react and you win the series that way. Again, until, until the puck drops, how this thing is going to play, we know it's going to be hot and sloppy, I think, here in, in, in the play-in series. We just, we know it is because yeah. you're asking teams to basically, after one exhibition game, kick it in the high gear and it's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of teams. And I think, a hot, you know, a crazier, sloppier game. Uh, you know, more of a chance of break, breaks with the skill, where the overall skill level of the players, maybe something that shines a little bit more and more of a shinny style game. Then maybe that's something that works for the Leafs' advantage. Well, I hope so because we know the Leafs when the season starts, they're able to outscore their problems pretty well as everything's sloppy and the defenses are not locked down. So uh, I'm hoping for that for the Maple Leafs at least for the uh, the play-in round and obviously then everything gets set for the next round after that. I got to ask you, Anthony, before I let you go today, if you have to grab your crystal ball and look at it, who do you see in Edmonton on neutral ground playing for the Stanley Cup? <laughs> it's very hard to do um, that one. <laughs> I It is. I'm going to say this, though. I think I'm curious to see how the Tampa Bay Lightning take what happened last playoff year and I think overall if you look at them on paper talent level wise forwards, defense the window for them is I think they, they, there is some concern I think that you know at a certain point that you know that the window is going to close for their opportunity here I think in neutral in a neutral ground situation, again they they draw decent crowds for the playoffs. But we also know during the season that the Tampa crowd, you know, that maybe it's not as difficult to get tickets in Tampa as it would be in Toronto, let's say. Um, but I think I, I'm banking on the fact that the Lightning are going to utilize, especially the veterans on that team, the bitter taste of what happened last playoff year, and. It sparks them, I think, to and, and it, it sparks them, I think, to uh, to be the Eastern representatives in Edmonton. West gets a little bit tougher. It is a heavy, as we all know, heavy play. I know a lot. Some are thinking Vegas. I, I'm I'm not completely necessarily on board with Vegas, even though I think they're a lot a lot better. I think they're kind of a top heavy team. I do think the Blues are going to have motivation here to to, to, to kind of to, to move, move things along here, but I can't keep the, the Colorado Avalanche out of my mind right now. I really, if they get pretty good goaltending out of Grubauer, I think the talent level is there where they may be a little bit faster and a little bit better than some of the heavier teams that are trying to get their legs under them. Um, 
and it was it's kind of tough for me to say, but I'm going to say it's going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Colorado Avalanche for the Stanley Cup, and I think the Lightning uh, win that series well, and are the champs at the end of this. I just look at the the Tampa Bay Lightning and the weapons that they added at the trade deadline. You look at Barclay Goodrow, you look at Blake Coleman, and then the cast of guys they already have on that squad, which you look at the roster and in your mind you think, how do they fit all these guys under the cap? You know, and they got them all, and Vasilevsky between the pipes, and it goes on and on. So that team right there, you're right. This is their window. This is the time that they should win the cup. But it goes back to what you just said. How do you bounce back from that playoffs last year where you got swept? And also, you look at a team like the Boston Bruins and what Cassidy's done with them throughout this season, you know, after not mm-hmm. winning the Stanley Cup and having them come back and be so dominant. Can we see that out of Tampa? And can Cooper make that team into what it needs to be to win the cup. Um, I'm 100% with you, though. I talked to Rob Reese in February, and I said my matchup would be at that time was Tampa versus Colorado. For whatever reason, Colorado just doesn't leave my mind as a team that doesn't want to leave the dance and wants that cup. But I see Tampa as well walking away with the Stanley Cup at the end of it all and being the odd COVID Cup champions come October. Yeah, I, I think so. That's that's the most like. There are some teams certainly in the East and West in the play and rounds where I have to keep in mind. I, I, Columbus is one of those teams. Uh, Toronto again. Can they utilize the in quotations familiarity of home ice to their advantage here to get them potentially through the playoffs? If it's a high high octane series, I think Toronto has the. I think they have. Weapons up front, it's just I have my concerns about their blue line. Carolina is an interesting team to look at as well. Um, they also were a team that kind of went hell's bells at the deadline. But I, I, Carolina concerns me with their goaltending. Uh, again, they have accepted, they're exceptionally, you know, no, you don't get much more streaky than Peter Morazic. But if he gets on a good streak, then you look at that, that Carolina team and go, that's a team that could, that could really do some damage. Uh, in in the play, and so if we're looking at some of the teams that will be coming out of the play in round and out west, um, some interesting certainly in this circumstance. I think Vegas, but I mean Vegas obviously is going to be in the in the round robin, um, but there is some interest there. If if you know Connor Hellebuck can, I think he's going to be the Vesna. Most of us would probably be in agreement that he's he's the likely Vesna Trophy winner this year. If he can overcome. And sort of be the grand viewer of that team <laughs> to overcome a pretty subpar defense in front of him. That's another team in many ways that has as horses up front. Vancouver's interesting to me um, as well. So there's some teams that are in the playing round that I think can do it. But overall, I'm going to stick with Tampa having you know the, the, the motivation uh, and the bitter taste of what happened last year to act it. Not to you know let it be a ghost for them, but for it to be a motivating factor, especially since you know they were forced to not play for three four months in this circumstance. I don't take Boston lightly at all. It's just I don't know why it's one of those classic you know Boston playing extremely you know playing well, but I feel like you know it's you know the, I, if it's a betting thing, I'm still sort of edging towards the field versus Boston in the East. So that's just again my take on it. No, I agree, and being a Toronto fan, I don't want to see Boston go on another run. I've had enough of that over my lifetime, and I want to see something new happen. So hopefully, and I really want it to happen because obviously for me there's unfinished business between the Leafs and the Flyers. The last time I seen those two play in the playoffs, I was in high school, and I watched the Toronto Maple Leafs get eliminated by Jeremy Roenick at a high school dance in the cafeteria TV, so that memory is forever etched in my brain. So I want something new to happen, and I want it to be the Toronto Maple Leafs playing the Philly Flyers and maybe advancing and finally having this young talent accomplish something on their resumes. Possible. And and for my end, I actually was, you know, it's 2004, so I actually covered that series, at least from the home perspective. So that was on the road right before Philly then ended up playing Tampa in what is now I think we'd all deem to be one of the more classic Eastern Conference finals that we had. Uh, but that was quite a that was quite a playoff year, and that was quite a series between Philly and Toronto going back and forth. But yeah, I remember that distinctly well from covering it from the home, at least because uh, not traveling obviously up to Toronto, but covering it from the Philadelphia perspective here in, in, in here. So 
I hear you on that front. It, 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 it would, it would, if I was when I, at your age at that point, I would have. It would have been a tough, uh, it would have been a dirt of cold swallow. <laughs> it definitely was. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you for taking the time. And before I let you go today, I want you to tell people where you write for, where they can find you, all of your stuff, all your um, your links and bios and everything. I want to make sure that everybody gets onto your stuff. And obviously, if the Leafs are playing the Flyers, they're going to want to pick apart your your articles and everything and find all the info they can get. So uh, the Mac. Uh, Print magazine I write for is called Center Ice Philly. Uh, Center Ice Philly magazine. It's mostly in print, uh, so I probably won't be able to get that there. But um, I will be writing for Sportsology.net, uh, some analysis. Uh, Sportsology.com. My co-host, my off-the-post radio podcast goes Russ Cohen's website. So I'll be having some some thoughts and reactions to the ser- to the playoff series as they go on there. Uh, my podcast, of course, is Off the Post Radio, which is uh, available on uh, we, we broadcast live on talk show on, on weekends and Sundays of late in the morning but we kind of set that up so you can follow that at, at off the post radio um, beyond that I also uh, panelist on the hockey buzzcast uh, as well with Mike with uh, Mike Augello and, and Eklund there uh, Mike of course is also my co- one of my co's one of my other co's for uh, for off the post radio, so we kind of cover a lot of different areas uh, throughout hockey, and not just our specific teams that we cover in this circumstance. So, again, the main places you would find my stuff is would be uh, for the most part would be if you have a, can get a copy of Center Ice Philly magazine, but again, if, if that's obviously a tough one there for if you're in the Toronto area, place else. So, Sportsology.com, I'll have some stuff during the playoffs there. Also, uh, podcasts. Uh, at Alta Post Radio, as well as me being a panelist on HockeyBuzz.com. Well, we'll make sure everybody tunes those in, and we'll make sure that all the links are there for people to follow along. I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know it's a busy time with everybody gearing up and so much to cover. So, sir, thank you for swinging by offside. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. As you heard, that is the man that covers the Philadelphia Flyers for many different entities. You can listen to him in all the places we just discussed. Be sure to check out each and every offside. Huge shout-out to Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation and Highland Custom Builders for sponsoring the show. Huge shout-out to MBKO for getting us all dressed so finely. And a huge shout-out to Manscaped.com. Be sure to make sure you check out the Lawnmower 3.0. It's getting close to hockey season, guys. We got to make sure the pucks are shaved and ready to go and fresh for the playoffs, especially in summertime. You don't want to be sweating it out and feeling gross down in the man jungle. So get the Lawnmower 3.0. Head on over to manscaped.com. Use the promo code OFFSIDE20 for 20% off your order and free shipping. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is OFFSIDE for today. 